Welcome to Listen by Jean Ginsberg. This audio experience and podcast is all about social media, digital marketing, entrepreneurship, and interviews with top entrepreneurs in the digital and social space. I'm your host, Jean Ginsberg, digital marketing expert, number one best-selling author, and award-winning entrepreneur. I will be sharing with you strategies, tips, and tactics on how to grow your business and your social media following. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. I'm super excited today. We have a very special guest, Ed Stevens, someone I met through the Young, sorry, YPO, Young Presidents Organization. I always, right. I always get that one wrong. Nice to have you on the show. Thank you for being here. Very happy to be here, Jean. Yes, I. We talked offline in another call a couple of weeks ago, and you have a very cool product and feature that you're working on and so yeah i think maybe before we jump into scoot let's kind of want to set a set some you know context for our audience so maybe you can share a little bit about your background and kind of how you got here to you know right before scoot <laughs> well i'm a longtime entrepreneur and angel investor scoot is my fifth company I started my career helping Russian company to export and distribute their products around the world. And then I started a software company called Shopatron that became a pretty big one. We had 250 people and sold it to a private equity firm. And then about five years ago, I got going on my latest journey, which led to Scoot. And Scoot, we launched about three years ago. And so I'm just a glutton for punishment. I love starting companies. I love bringing radical new ideas to market and uh, just something that's built into my soul, I think. Entrepreneur through and through, huh? Yes. Angel investor, entrepreneur. You know, all of my uncles and aunts were entrepreneurs kind of growing up. And so it was just something that, and, and both of my grandfathers were also entrepreneurs. So it was just something that is real. I think it truly is in my blood. Hmm, but not your dad or your mom. Well, my dad too. My dad oh. is 82 years old. He still runs his furniture store in Ohio called the Furniture Depot. Still works full time running his store. And I grew up working in that store. So yeah, very familiar with family business, big business, medium-sized businesses, all, all the business. All all kinds of businesses. Uh, so yeah. you mentioned you were helping a Russian company. Do you speak Russian? Yeah, Gavriu Paruski. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, those are Paruski. Which means for the audience who aren't understanding, it means I speak Russian, but what would you just said? So <laughs> how how fluent are you in Russian? Well, I was super fluent when I lived there. And, you know, probably would take me a couple of weeks to kind of scratch the the rust off but i don't use it that much now yeah well if you ever want to have you know conversational russian with me happy to chat anytime okay how, uh, how did you learn it i was born in russia uh, oh so you were born, okay yeah i was born in st petersburg and we came to the states when i was eight right before the wall fell in 1988 so yeah that's so i my first language was russian and my parents my mom still speaks Russian, so we I've been speaking it, you know, for the last 35 years or so here in the States. So cool. Yeah, it's it's I know we you I think you and I spoke offline that were were lived in Russia, but I didn't realize that you still speak it. So that's fantastic. Nineteen ninety two to nineteen ninety three I lived. Ah, okay. 
Yeah. Well, fun fact, I was the first American citizen to be on the payroll of a Russian military factory after the Cold War. That is that's pretty neat, I got to say. We'll just leave that there. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, let's uh, let's jump into Scoot. We'll, we'll talk about the Russian thing offline, but let's jump okay. into Scoot and tell our audiences what is Scoot and yeah, how it's different from the rest of your competitors. So Scoot is an ultra-engaging and immersive virtual meeting platform. And what that means is we we sort of looked at the landscape with Zoom and Microsoft Teams, and these are great tools for small meetings. Two people, Zoom, you know, FaceTime, whatever, those work great. But when you put 50 people or 100 people in a Zoom, all of a sudden the experience is nothing like it would be if it was in person, right? You don't have the freedom of movement to go and find the people that you want to have a sidebar, you want to network, you want to chat your boss up, you want to see and talk to the most important customer. None of that is available to you unless the host is doing a kind of like breakout room sort of you know structure. And so we built a platform with movement and immersive environments, what we call Scootiverse, and that can host meetings of small meetings, but also up to 10,000 people, just like they would in person. So Scoot is the next generation of virtual meeting platform. And, uh, you know, it's it's a real joy to be working on it and to bring it to market. Wow. That's very exciting. Yes, because we all use some sort of Zoom or Google Meet, right, or Teams, Teams. I am not a big fan of Teams. <laughs> right. uh, some of my clients or some of our like YPO team, like people that I uh, connect with at YPO use Teams, and I'm like, <sighs> but yes. Yeah, so, so we are kind of familiar, and all of them are kind of built very similarly. So we're all familiar with how to use that. So, how would you say is Scoot different from like the user, the regular user experience of a Zoom or a Google Meet? Well, movement is the most important thing. So when you have 50 people in a Zoom meeting, what you end up doing is kind of awkwardly hearing one person talk to another until the formal presentation starts. So movement allows you to separate and move into different conversations and join and unjoin conversations the way you would network or work a room. And that's its primary difference. Once we enable movement, that gives you a landscape for designing a branded space that you move through. So I can fill that space with my logo, my colors, my products, whatever my imagination leads me to. And then finally, we have an exciting feature called smart badging that takes enterprise data, interlays it with the users and allows you to do things like, let's say you have a Scooterverse with 400 people in it. It's a pretty big event, a pretty big meeting, but you can search based off of the data, find, teleport, and pin in the presentation the people that you want. So imagine that you're in a meeting with your customers and you want to see your five biggest customers. Well, how would you do that? In person, you would kind of scan the room and recognize them and go. Virtually, if you have 400 people, you would type in their name, their company, you pull up their metadata about how big they are, maybe what their pipeline looks like, maybe where they are in the sales cycle. You teleport there, you say hello, and then you teleport to the next customer and the next customer and the next customer. So it just gives you this kind of like incredible return on time invested and makes it possible for companies to accelerate their business and increase their sales in that same hour 
it's just like a entirely it's an entire level up from anything possible in one of the existing platforms they just don't have movement they don't have immersive environments and they also don't have any kind of metadata that you can use to really facilitate the purposes for the meeting yeah, it sounds like it's the next you know, generation, like the 2.0 of, of meetings, of virtual meetings. Yeah, I mean, what we're we're meeting on Zoom to record this, and you know, rectangles on screens were invented in the late 1990s. You know, like before the Palm Pilot, or when the Palm Pilot was out, or whatever. You know, like flip phones. That was when this was invented, and so you know, it's fine for small meetings and it works great across a lot of reasons and we can use it for a podcast because the audio is very good and the technology is very solid, but throw a hundred people in a Zoom meeting and all you've got is a way to present content. It's one to many, it's non-interactive. That's because the the tool, you know, the average number of people in a Zoom meeting is is between four and seven people. So they built the tool for small meetings. They don't build it for big meetings. Works, right. but it doesn't, replicate in person. That's what we do. We replicate the value of in-person meetings. Of course, you don't have to travel, which makes it super valuable. So yeah, it's definitely next level. But I love it. And tell me a little bit more about where the company's at now. Like you, I mean, it sounds like it's live, but you said you we were just talking offline and you said you have a big release coming. So are you just adding new features? You have do you have customers now? Yes, we do. Like Johnson and Johnson and IBM are probably our two biggest customers. But we have lots of small companies and companies all over the world. Uh, we have just under 30 people. And so uh, we've raised $16 million. It's a, it's a really uh, highly featured product. And so there's a lot to build. And you have to support it on every device. If you're going to host a meeting for 400 people, somebody's going to be on Firefox. Somebody's going to be at the airport. Somebody's going to be in you know, Bangalore. Bangalore you know, on their, on their four-year-old Lenovo laptop. And so when you think about like immersive environments, can't even begin to think about like VR goggles or anything like that. You've got to be thinking totally other way, which is accessibility. So yeah, we're at the stage where the product is just reaching its full potential. And, you know, we have a big go-to-market kind of launch, uh, you know, a little bit later this year. But, you know, it's it's a very, very good experience, and I encourage everybody to give it a try. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. I think everybody should give Scoot a try and see how it's different, especially for, for bigger meetings. Yeah, for smaller, right. maybe not as, as applicable, but for sure for, for bigger meetings. I've been on, I think the largest meeting I've been on in on Zoom has been probably 100 people, but yeah, it was more like a webinar. It's not really an interactive, engaging type of you know, experience is just more like one person speaks or a few people speak or there's a panel and but you the other, you know, 95 people who are on the meeting are just kind of sitting there and like, probably like typing away on their computer or looking at their phone. 95% of people say that they multitask. And in most company all hands meetings, you have cameras on will be like 10 to 25%. So people are multitasking, they're letting their plumber in the door. And, you know, that's understandable to an extent. But like, for example, if I have a company of 500 people, and, and I'm having my all hands meeting, like, this is the time to get people aligned. This is the time to understand where are we going? What's important? What did we do right? What did we do wrong? And you have to break down silos between these remote workers. 
And, you know, silos are, are deadly to innovation. They're deadly to employee retention and overall company culture. So, yeah, it's non-trivial to solve this problem. And, uh, you know, we're successful at it, but it requires a different design paradigm than Zoom. You really can't. We tried. We looked at building it on top of Zoom. We looked at building it on top of Microsoft Teams, but you just can't do it. You just can't do it. Right. And you mentioned we were offline about some features you're rolling out. So what are some of the new features? Well, the big ones are smart badging, which is this ability to bring data into the meeting and do that search and teleport. But you're searching off of whatever data you've loaded in from your CRM or your HRIS system. So you can imagine having a 400-person customer event where you actually have the pipeline data available to your salespeople right in the meeting to search off of. Now, your customers, we have conditional viewing. So some of the data is only available to the host company and some of the data is available to the attendees. We just bring that data from the CRM in or from the HRIS system. We use that for putting people into the room in groups according to how the meeting producer wants to do it. And then also for pinning, which is in our stage master, our presentation mode, you're able to say, oh, pin, like in Zoom, you can pin people, but you kind of pin them manually. In Scoot, you pin them based off of the metadata. So you can say, show me all the people from, you know, my biggest, my biggest customer is Ford. I can say, you know, search for everybody who's from Ford in my customer meeting and pin them so I can watch their reactions to the presentation in my gallery, right? So pinning takes on a new level of, of meaning when it's not just manual, you're using enterprise data in order to kind of create groups of people and pin them in the gallery. So those are the big sets of, of stuff that's coming out. Awesome. And you said that you have a go-to-market release or I guess more of a bigger release to the public coming up in the next couple of months? Yeah, we're building a new website and, you know, building up our sales and marketing organization now. But right now, you know, we have, like I was saying, some of those big enterprise customers. It's just that, you know, we've been really, really building the product, making it super feature rich, make sure we have all this smart badging and stage master functionality in there. And then, you know, it'll, I think people will really be surprised where we go in 2024. Yeah. I mean, on the digital marketing agency side, it's so exciting to like help whenever we help clients with new product releases or like new product launches. It's just, you know, so many ideas going around. Like what, how, how do we, how do we capture the the audience? How do we make it exciting? So it's, it's a really fun time. It's a lot of work, but it's a really fun time for the, for the organization to be like this, you know, kind of like a coming out moment, right? Where you're like, this, this is us and this is what we're doing. And so yeah, that's yeah. that's super exciting. Uh, Absolutely. And yeah, and we were talking about releases and, and talking about your team and how one of the things that comes up in this podcast pretty often is, you know, AI and the changes that we are seeing across the board for all kinds of organizations, you know, not just in marketing, but also in operations and in coding, right? So do you, how do you see your team in the next few years? Do you see that AI is going to be impacting it or do you feel like it's not a big impact? Um, well, the first place we see it is in generative AI for marketing images or for designing Scootiverses. So like when you have this immersive environment, it's really handy if you kind of have a vision for, you know, how you want to design this environment that people are going to meet in. 
It's really handy to do that in generative AI, and we already use those tools for that. So our marketing team is pretty active. I use generative AI a little bit here and there, sometimes for some ideas. And if I'm doing a blog post or something like that, I think generative AI is kind of interesting for ideas weirdly for idea generation, you know, kind of like, oh, I'm going to do 10 tips of something. And it's kind of like, oh, yeah, that's a good tip. I'm going to add that into mine. On the coding side of things, I'm not a developer. But when it comes to really complex software, I'm sure that some of the code pilot and other things are usable. But when you think about kind of all the moving pieces of like, we probably have a thousand servers at Scoot. And so, you know, it's not just like you tell some AI program how to make a thousand servers work together, right? It's, it's not yet. Not, <laughs> not yet. Yeah. It, it's probably, well, it's sort of like the same thing. If you told generative AI to write, you know, the next great American novel, I'm not sure that it would actually get there. Not yet. <laughs> not Right. <laughs> right. Right. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll see where that all goes. But no, it's a, it's a hugely important technology. It's actually not. I mean, I don't know if this would even be controversial. It's actually not new. I mean, spell completion, spell checkers, the sentence completion in G- Gmail, like those things have been around for years and years and years. Of course, Siri's been around for good or bad for many years. What's really new with this wave of AI is that the computers have gotten more powerful so that they can run faster against larger data sets. And that means that they can just have more complex outputs than a, than a spell checker, right? It's like a paragraph checker or an essay checker, right, in a way. And so the technology is, isn't is new. It's just that the computers have gotten fast enough that they can run it across larger data models like images or videos and do crazy stuff with it. So it will continue to be a massive trend for every business, for sure. Yeah. I think at this point, maybe AI, you know, in reality is a bit of a misnomer because it's not, wouldn't really call it really artificial intelligence, more like machine learning, right? So yes, we can teach, we can feed the machine a lot of data and it will give us, you know, a blog post or some copy for a social media post, right? And that's where it's at now, totally. Like, that's more machine learning. And then the same thing I would say, you know, and it's really good at data, right? It processes data much more quickly. So again, more like machine learning and just capability of the data processors to be faster. So you can ingest a lot more data and it will, you know, pop it out much more quickly. But yeah, I think at this point, I mean, we call it all AI, but I think at this point, really, it's a, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd call it AI. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I mean, the... Machines are not sentient, you know, they don't have a conscious, they don't, they're not conscious. They don't know what they're doing. You know, they're just doing it. Yeah, they're, we're just feeding it information. Although I have used MidJourney for images for AI, or I guess AI images, as you would call it, or machine learning images. I mean, they're they're pretty good. I mean, again, very very early stage, but already pretty decent. If you like, well, if you like like six fingers or like eye that's like a little bit slightly above the other. I think it's, I do a lot of experimentation with that. And man, it, sometimes they look really, really bizarre and really weird. It's creepy. <laughs> sometimes they do, but sometimes they, um, sometimes they're like, yeah, this looks like you wouldn't even know this is like a, a mid-journey image. Yeah. So I think True. it's getting better. I actually used a, used one in the presentation recently for, uh, 
it was like an angel investor presentation. I was looking, I was trying to find an image with like a bunch of people in an office giving each other gifts. And I couldn't really find anything online or like stock photography. AI actually generated something that was, we had to give it a lot more prompts, but it actually like, you wouldn't even know that it's an AI image. Now, are you hard hard and fast on mid-journey or do you work with the other ones too? I so far just been testing on mid-journey, but I know there's like Dolly, right? Which is like the the sister company of, of ChatGPT. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. I've been, I haven't used it yet. Yeah. I use Dolly and our marketing team uses mid journey. Mm. Yeah. So it, yes, I think you have to look for like the, you have to make sure it's all about the prompts. Right. And I think in the future, where it's going to be people who have jobs as just the prompters. Like that's what, that's going to be a real job coming up in the next six months, I think. Definitely. No yeah. question of that. I mean, because there's just a huge difference in what you can get out of it. Right. And and everything that I understand about it and everything that I've learned is that like the more specific you could be with the prompts, the better your well, I mean, you know, it is machine learning, right? Like if you can tell it very specific things, it's gonna kick out a bunch more specific things that are more to your liking versus just like, can you you know, send me a picture of a bunch of people in an office? You know, it's gonna be very, very diverse and broad as to what it kicks out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so you were talking about AI goggles at one point in, the, in our conversation. VR, VR goggles, yeah. Or, or sorry, VR goggles, yeah. And what do you think would be the 3.0 version of meetings? Is that it? Well, I mean, do I think meetings will ever get to VR? Is that what you mean? Open-ended question. <laughs> Whatever well, you first think of is all, the next iteration. First of all, you know, VR is here. It's not going away. And, you know, there are really good use cases for it already, especially training. Obviously, if you're building a $10 million house to be able to kind of walk through the house and see what it looks like, you know, there's a lot of value. Somebody will, you know, your architecture firm can strap that thing on your face in the office and, you know, you don't have to buy it. It's perfect. Uh, you know, for for the, you know, home use and for kind of personal and social use, I think the face, the human face is just so crucial, so important. And also, I think that the weight of these things is a is an issue, you know, that people don't think about, you know, you know, we've been wearing hats as human beings for what, 1000 years, 2000 years. And, you know, hats are, are, have been available for multi uses for a long time, and they've never gotten there because people don't like weight on their head. You know, the human head is already really big and heavy kind of compared to other animals. That's why we our necks and headaches and, you know, we're very sensitive to weight on our head. And so that's why eyeglasses, you know, are so light, right? I mean, eyeglasses could already have flashlights on them, right? I mean, they could have, I mean, it'd be handy to have a flashlight on your eyeglasses, right? And you and I both wear eyeglasses. Why don't they have more stuff? Because people don't like weight on their heads. So I don't see VR being something people wear all day long. I see it as something they wear in short spurts, you know, like a bike helmet. <clears throat> you wear that when you go on a bike ride, but, you know, you don't wear it all day long. And yeah, there's the joke ones with the beers on the top, you know, that you take to the football game or whatever. But for the most you don't part, wear it all day or all the time. <laughs> exactly. People don't wear it all day. Sure. But I, I think more like for meetings, right? And, and I guess that's kind of could be a, a kind of a law, whole, whole day thing, right? Like I got the to five. Think if you're wearing those VR glasses, but I think also it's a technology thing, right? Everything gets lighter over time. We'll see. Yes, it'll 100% happen. I don't know when. Yeah, I just remember that movie with Colin Firth. Uh, 
and they're like all sitting around a, a like giant conference room table and they're all like holograms. Maybe it's going to be more like we still have to put on some goggles in order to see the holograms. Well, I actually I actually think holograms are far more likely to enter into the business meeting space than VR goggles. Really? I've seen some holograms and I actually know some customers who are buying and playing around with holograms. So is that is that meetings 3.0? For one-to-one meetings, yes, it's like a phone booth. You know, like in the old days, you'd have to like, you know, chart, you know, go. There was one phone in every house, right? In the old days, yeah. right, and that was connected through central system, and you know, but it was really, really good one-to-one. And I think what you'll find is that these technologies are enabled with like booths or infrastructure where people kind of go to it if it's that rich. And sure, there could be a VR experience along the same lines, like at one comp, you know, one at one headquarters in the satellite office, there's like VR goggles people strap on to do certain stuff. Yeah, I think that, that all that's going to happen. It's just when you think about a meeting of 400 people, which is our business, and that's tainting my viewpoint, right? I'm not in the business of one-to-one meetings. But for 400 people, what are the chances everybody's going to have that gear? And for 400 people, it's accessibility. You know, somebody might be blind, somebody might be deaf, somebody might be, you know, like I said, in Bangalore with a four-year-old Lenovo laptop and someone else is at the airport on the plane with a phone on a, you know, one bar LTE trying to cling on to the meeting so they can hear what's, you know, participate. And so when you think about accessibility in a big business meeting, the the core technologies that you have to, you know, be be live on are are, are lowest common denominator not the not the highest. So we're we're a laggard in that way. Um, our platform has to work on everything. Sure. And that taints my view, you know, but maybe 10 years from now. I was going to say just it's more about dreaming big, not necessarily what's what's keeping you awake at night right now. <laughs> Let's say 10 okay, we heard it here first. 2033, that'll be the first Scoot VR, you know, full meeting with 400 people. I think so. I think in less than time than that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's, you know, it's all going to, technology, it's all going to change very quickly. And so I think there's a, a lot of opportunities coming. You're a futurist. I am. I'm deaf. That's why I have this podcast, because I talk to people and I always ask them the question of, you know, what is your prediction for the future? Your industry could be you know, specifically in your industry, or it could be like self-driving cars, terraforming Mars, you know, and so longevity. I'm a big longevity person. I'm a futurist for sure. I love, I love thinking about what is... What is all? What is this all going to bring? I was actually just listening to a podcast right before we were recording about longevity. Dr. David Sinclair, I, I love that guy, and he was talking about you know how we can live to be forever. <laughs> <laughs> we can live to see VR goggles in meetings. <laughs> I that should only be the next ten years or so. But the other thing I was thinking about when you mentioned you know like what's the lowest common denominator is that like right now you know computers right are the lowest common denominator. Right. Like everybody's got a computer, whether that's a desktop or a laptop. But then in five or 10 years, maybe the lowest common denominator might be a, might be VR goggles because everyone's going to have that technology and it's going to be cheap and it's going to be readily available. And you can buy it on Amazon for like, I don't know, 100 bucks. <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe. I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> dream big and dream big. I, well, there are some applications for that that we we have in our vision, but. Uh, you know, for the most part, we kind of live in the delivery business. Absolutely. 
Yeah, yeah. We, we all do. I mean, we all have a business to run and we're like, this is the problems that I'm having now. Not like, but you know, this podcast is about like, what's, what's the future hold? <laughs> but when I think about the future, I mean, this might, I know we're getting towards the end of our time, but you know, when I think about the future, I think about the paradigms of human interactions that, that have not changed. Like, I was just thinking about things like, you know, I was looking at your hands and my hands and I was thinking like, it's interesting. We don't put anything, put very much on our hands, you know, like maybe there's a couple of rings or I don't wear any rings, but you know, like we, we leave, we want our, we want to feel right. So we don't wear gloves typically unless we have to. Right. And I think that that's kind of like an interesting paradigm for the future, which is we you know certain parts of our experience, eyes, mouth, smells, you know, certain parts of our of our interaction with the world and with other people, our senses are so important that we don't cover them up. You know, right. we typically don't cover our faces unless we have to, except in some cultures. But for, for the, the most part, people don't most for the most part, people don't cover their faces right in their in their most important interactions. Uh, even beards are kind of, you know, questionable, you know, in terms of like in Russia, you know, they what is it? Uh, don't trust a bearded man, I think, or something like that, know you know, that. like Barodny Chelyviek, you know? So, you know, because, you know, you can't see the nuances of the smile or, you know, the right. little twitches or things that people might, you know, so I think that these very you know, trust, being able to trust another person is so crucial that anything that gets in between the ability for you to assess whether you can trust someone is, I think, will stay out of the future. Because establishing trust is like still so human beings are going to be social. The fabric of their trust circles will be what they what they rely upon. And so anything that gets in between your sensors for trust, I don't think that the technology will be allowed in there, which is why I'm a little bit less VR goggle in the social interaction side of things. Because, you know, if you're blocking my eyes, you're blocking your ability, you know, to to figure out whether you can trust me. That's just kind of like roots of how I think about these new technologies and the trust the trust sensors are right. are are like above lungs and heart and eating like trust the trust tools that human beings have are the most important tools that we have. Yes, that's so true. Well, this was an interesting point to end on. <laughs> That's true. It is all about, you know, micro expressions, right? In, in your face. Although I think that once we have the VR goggles, they're not necessarily going to cover, like in, 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 the sp in the VR space, they're not going to be like covering up your face, right? Because you're going to be seeing, like people are going to be seeing you through Maybe. the basic <laughs> the goggles. That's how I mean I'm envisioning it. I think it'll be 50 or 100 years before they're as unobtrusive as my eyeglasses are. Like, you know, like my eyebrows, my frowning on my, you know, the wrinkles on my forehead. I don't know. Well, that is all maybe like a technological micro expression biologist going to work on something like that. That would. That yes, would exactly. That. I got to get. That's my next job. There you go. I'm doing next <laughs> Combination of Scoot and. And like my biological micro expressions and trust. So, right. Well, thank you so much, Ed, for being here. This was this is really cool to talk about that because there's just I think so many ideas here and so many possibilities. Uh, so, yeah. Last question is: How can my audience get in touch with you or with your organization, Scoot? Um, well, Scoot.app. That's our website. 
I am at EA Stevens. I'm on Twitter or X, depending on who you, uh, you know, where you are on that name change. But um, you can find me at EA Stevens at Twitter. You can DM me there. So thanks so much for being here. All right. Awesome.